1: because it's something that I have struggled with my whole life. And I have three kids that have different renditions of the struggle with social anxiety. And I think a lot of times parents think social anxiety is probably one of the easiest things to understand compared to the complexities of OCD and the strange themes that pop up that might get missed. And how do you approach those themes? And people are like, ah, oh, social anxiety. Okay, I get it. They're having a problem with being social. I know what to do with this one. And actually, unfortunately, a lot of times we make a lot of mistakes and we make social anxiety worse. And so today I want to talk about what some of those might be that we might be unintentionally doing so that we can really improve our approach with our kids because social anxiety is such a sensitive topic. It impacts the self esteem. And if we understand a little bit about where our kids are coming from and what things tend to help and what things tend to make them feel worse, you're going to be ahead of the game. But before we get started, a couple of things. I want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy, and they're available luckily in the US and outside of the US. And you can schedule your free 15 minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com, and there is a link in the show notes as well. Also, my workshop, my Zoom workshop is coming up this week. It is on December 9th. It is a live workshop on Zoom, but if you can't make it for the time that I have scheduled, you can always um, register and then you will get access to the replay. So that workshop is all about how to identify your child's core fear in their anxiety or OCD. And ironically, a lot of times the core fear overlaps into anxiety and OCD. Um, Like my daughter has a core fear that impacts her OCD themes. It impacts her anxiety themes. It impacts her social anxiety, one core fear. And once I realized she's got one core fear and it's actually ironically social anxiety, but it shows up in her OCD themes. She has sensory motor OCD and she worries about having an accident, even though she's never had a pee accident and she's older, you know, but that possibility is overwhelming to her. And so she has to pee all the time, or she did. We've made a lot of progress. She has metaphobia, the fear of throwing up. Again, it's the loss of control, and people won't like her if she throws up. So they're all interlinked with a loss of control related to people judging her, which goes back to her social anxiety. Interesting, right? So join me, and I will help you figure out those, those web connections for your own child and why it's important and how it can help and how you can help your kids with that. You just have to sign up at natashadaniels.com slash workshop. It's a $10 workshop. I try to make it really affordable so that everybody can join and soak up this information. There'll be a Q and a at the end related to core fears. And so I hope to see you there. natashadanielscom slash workshop. I will leave a link in the show notes for that as well. Okay. So let's talk about social anxiety. Now I get I get social anxiety because I went undiagnosed with social anxiety my whole childhood, and it wasn't until my 40s that I had the epiphany that I have social anxiety, <laughs> which is kind of insane really. But you know, when, when you are so close to a problem, even if you treat that problem, it's very hard to have insight into your own struggles, but I actually had pretty acute social anxiety Now that I am doing so much better, I look back or I'll verbalize with people, oh, I couldn't do this because it was overwhelming or this would be really scary for me. The reactions that I get like, oh my gosh, that's hard. That was hard for you. Make me realize how severe my social anxiety was. I was just able to function. And it actually wasn't until I started to create an online world and had to really be exposed virtually that I realized just how bad it was. But this episode isn't about me. It's about your child and how we can make sure that we are doing things in a way that's actually going to make them feel better and not worse. So let's break them down. I have um, a couple of the highlights and then we're going to take a break. And then in a the second half, we'll talk about positive things, what you can do to really help them deal with their social anxiety the first thing that I actually think is the most important thing to bring up first is people kind of misunderstand what social anxiety is. And hopefully you're further on in the journey, but I actually want to start with that because I'll see a lot of people in my online community say their kids have social anxiety and they'll describe the struggle. And it doesn't sound like social anxiety to me just because your child has social skill deficits does not mean that they have social anxiety. And some people are anxious about their social skill deficits They can't read the room, they can't pick up on social cues, they might be acutely shy. Those are different issues. They might also have a comorbid condition with social anxiety, but a lack of social skills is not social anxiety. And being anxious about your lack of social skills is not necessarily social anxiety. And a lot of autistic kids have anxiety around social interactions, and I really would not call that social anxiety. And I see a lot of times autistic kids getting diagnosed with lots of different disorders when really a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it can come back to just being an autistic individual. And of course it's anxiety producing when you're autistic and you're wired differently and you are not picking up social interactions in the way that someone else would. And so that is anxiety producing, or you're being bombarded by too much information in the environment sensory wise. That's not necessarily social anxiety. It's anxiety around social interactions, but social anxiety is the acute fear and not so cute <laughs> fear of judgment, of rejection, of being less than. And so, um, when you feel that way, you feel like you're not enough and enoughness is a huge part of social anxiety. You are not smart enough or cool enough or pretty enough or hip enough or athletic enough or talented enough or smart enough. It's an enough problem. It is. And the the issue with social anxiety is that you're looking externally for validation of who you are as a person. And because you do that, it feels life or death that you get that peer approval. And it looks different for each kid, um, each adult, each person the enough part of it is different and and that is kind of why going back to my workshop on core fear it is important to understand the core fear because the core fear for social anxiety is different for each person which is interesting right because we think social anxiety is pretty one dimensional you are anxious around people you know it's it can seem very simplistic it's actually a very much it's a it's a much more complicated disorder and that enough issue can be different so like for my daughter who's very outgoing and is an extrovert. No one on this planet would think she has social anxiety, incredible social skills, very adept at reading social cues, but that fear of rejection, that fear of doing something and then people aren't going to like her anymore or being something that people aren't going to like is so, so palatable with her. She has come a long way. I would say that she's not even like on a clinical level for social anxiety. I think that it's, it's one of those things that she's overcome, but you have to always keep an eye on. But it was, she's actually coming a crazy, crazy far way. I mean, like when she was in preschool, she had to wear a little hat and she was, couldn't talk to people and lots of issues that OCD actually hijacked as well. And now she is the most outgoing, bubbly person. She's more herself, right? So her enoughness was more of a lack of control. And my enoughness is, is specific as well. I think it's more of I'm not smart enough. I might mispronounce my word, or I might say something that people misconstrue as stupid, or they might think that I'm not as great as they thought I was. <laughs> you know? um, I think I have a lack of enoughness with how I look. And this is historical, even from when I was very young. Now that I'm getting older, ironically, I'm caring a little bit less, a lot less actually about that, which is interesting. As you are shriveling up, you start to not care as much, um, or at least that's my situation, but the enoughness can be different. I've had kids where they, it was all athletic. They felt like they could be ostracized or they weren't talented enough in, in their, um, sport. And so it can cross the board into many different things, but it's different for each person. So I think that's, that's important to recognize. So let's move into like the things that we do as a parent. So when I was younger, my mom would often kind of belittle me. And I'm sure that hopefully none of you are doing this, but she would belittle me about not having friends. And so she would say things like, why can't you make friends? Or you need to make more friends. Now that is one thing that I do feel that I hear a lot with parents is that they are telling their kids to make more friends. And when your child has social anxiety, and to say to them, you need to branch out, or you need to make more friends, or why don't you try to make some friends, or why don't you have people come over, or, you know, you only have this one friend, why don't you have more friends, or maybe you need to expand your social circle, whatever you're saying, all of that is overwhelming. And I can tell you that from my own personal experience, that to tell a child with social anxiety, you need to make more friends, or you should have people over, or why are you not going over to people's houses, or you need to talk more, any of those things is overwhelming. overwhelming because it's stigmatizing and it makes the child feel even worse because a big part of social anxiety for most people is the shame that goes on top of social anxiety. And so it's not that you don't have awareness, right? You're clearly aware that you don't have as many friends as other people or that it is harder for you to make friends than other people. And that's your pain point. And so when a parent inadvertently highlights that for you, And tells you to do the obvious thing that you wish you could do is shaming. And it makes you feel even worse. And self-esteem and self-image are best friends with social anxiety. Self-esteem is in the gutter, right? And so we don't want to add to that shame. And so there is a couple of things around this topic. One, what is your child's true essence? Are they an introvert or are they an extrovert? Um, I've talked to people who, who feel like it's not okay for a child to have one friend, that there's something wrong with them, or it's not okay for a child to be you know, wanting to read a book at home instead of going out, or they're not invited to parties. And we have to kind of reconcile our view of success socially with what is the success for your child with social anxiety and you may be very different than your child. And so you might be looking at it from a different lens, or you might have your own social anxiety and you might get it. But this is the first one that I want to mention because it is the most harmful and inadvertently harmful. And, um, and I've actually talked to like relatives about my kids or, you know, particular relative and they don't get it, you know, and they get concerned about, You need to have, you know, you have to have friends or what's wrong with your child. If they can't make friends, what what are you doing wrong? You know that there's this undercurrent, this message of what are you doing wrong? You know, a lot of people don't want a lot of friends. And so you want to look at the essence underneath. There are people that love groups and they love socializing in groups. And there are people that don't love groups and they, they are a deep thinker. They are a one-on-one connector and they get maybe overwhelmed in social situations. And so the first thing I would invite you to look at is is what is the essence of your child underneath? So for me, and this took me up until actually incredibly recently to realize I am not an outgoing person with a large group of people. I'm probably outgoing with a one-on-one person. They wouldn't think I have social anxiety, but I, I am an introvert by nature. I don't know if I would have been that. And we're going to talk about that in the second half of this. Actually, I think we're going to talk about in the first half, the environmental stressors that can actually exacerbate social anxiety or blossom that genetic seed. And definitely, definitely being bullied is one of those things. And so I was bullied And, you know, and the other thing I want to say really quick about bullying, because I've gotten this kind of message from some relatives is regarding one of my kids, you know, aren't we all bullied, you know, and like kind of normalizing bullying. And I think for those that weren't, have never been severely bullied, they don't realize the difference. Yeah. Kids can be kids and kids are mean, but there is a difference between that and being a target an ongoing target in your environment where you are other, and that can create kind of a trauma response that gets entangled with social anxiety. And we'll talk about that in a second. But I have realized that for me at this point, I don't think I would have, I don't think physiologically I was born an introvert. I think the bullying actually turned me into an introvert. Isn't that weird? I really do. But I am what I am now. I am genuinely an introvert. I get drained when I'm around people, even my favorite people. I get drained after about three hours. I've watched the clock because I'll be like, why am I so exhausted? And I'll be like, "Up, oh, it's the three hour mark. So I love you know, hanging out with a really good friend for two hours and then about two and a half hours, I'm starting to get really tired. Three hours, once I get into the car and I'm leaving, I'm like drained. I enjoyed it, but I'm drained because I'm an introvert. And so that energy is going away from me. I do not like groups and that's not my social anxiety. I can't light up in a group. Even if it's a group of people I know, which is rare because I have like individual relationships with people, but that is who I am. And so I am not going to be bubbly. I'm not the life of the party. I want a deep friendship and I'm not going to have a group of friends and that's okay. That is who I am. And so that's not my social anxiety. So what is your child? Maybe they are a book reader or maybe they are a one best friend kind of kid. Maybe they are slow to warm in a new environment. Maybe they are a deep thinker and they're not one to jump into a conversation. Maybe they're not going to be the one that makes the jokes and is bubbly. And maybe they are right. Like with my daughter, her extroverted bubbly self was muted. And so look at your child's true self or try to figure out what is social anxiety and what is their true self. And that's what we really want to highlight. And so I wouldn't pressure them to make friends. I would start to look at where is their struggle. And we're going to talk about that after the break, as far as actionable steps. You know, we're going to talk about the problem first. The second issue that I see sometimes is social anxiety is that we're, we're missing or we're not recognizing the difference between having a hard time with peers because they're being bullied versus social anxiety. And so sometimes we might continue to push them to go to school or be in an environment because we don't want them to avoid because we know avoid is like a four-letter word, even though A-V-O, nope, not a four-letter word, <laughs> but it grows social anxiety. Right. And so we know that it is, it is not helpful. We know that avoidance in general for anxiety, not helpful. And so sometimes, you know, we take a hammer to that. Um, We don't see the nuances around avoidance. We just think avoidance is bad. So we're going to make sure that you go to that practice or you go to that school or you go to that party or whatever it is. And we don't want to miss some bullying. Because sometimes kids are bullied and then they develop social anxiety. I do feel like there is a genetic predisposition to social anxiety or to anxiety in general. And I think that bullying is the water that grows that seed. Does that make sense? And so bullying can also, I think, create social anxiety. So the environmental factors are, are just as important as the genetic components And so exploring that with our kids, you know, what's the hardest part about going to school? You know, what, you know, we want to not miss that they might be bullied. Now, kids with social anxiety are often a target for bullying as well, because they're quieter. They're more awkward. They don't know what to say. Sometimes in social situations, they freeze up. They do things that make them more of a target. They don't know how to laugh off trash talk, you know, and if you're um, a kid in, in a place where kids are trash talking and and you're super sensitive because of your social anxiety, you're going to respond in a way that's very defensive. It makes you more of a target, unfortunately. And so bullying can be the, the cause on some level, or it could be the water that sprouts the social anxiety. And we don't want to miss that because we don't want to force our kids in situations where they are being emotionally abused or physically abused, right? We may just chalk it all up to social anxiety without realizing that there's something objectively concrete that's going on that is hard. That would be hard for any child. And then at that point, it's okay for, you know, we don't want to put them in that environment. So I know that that's what I'm dealing with with one of my kids here is recognizing that there was social anxiety, but then on top of it, there is a level of bullying that is absolutely unacceptable. And at that point, avoidance is key because I'm not going to continue a fuel line that is firing up the social anxiety and, and burning the self-esteem. I'm just not going to do that. And so then it's like plan B, like we have to figure out something to repair the damage that the bullying has caused. So getting our kids, especially with social anxiety, but all kids, I think out of a bullying situation, not saying like kids will be kids or talk to the teacher, but you know, really if you're seeing your child not being able to function because of it. It's time for plan B. So that's, that's point number two. Point number three is not understanding the goal of social anxiety therapy work or social anxiety exposures. A lot of times we think that the goal is to make our kids social. And so we are going to you know, make sure that our kids can go to those parties, can have a large group of friends, can talk to strangers, can do small talk really easily to, to be social. I mean, in whatever way that you're thinking, but really that's not the goal of social anxiety. The goal of social anxiety, and I think that a lot of people miss this, myself included for a long time. The goal is to make them feel comfortable in uncomfortable situations. And so it's really just to reduce the discomfort very similar to OCD. The goal in OCD is not to reduce the intrusive thoughts. We, we have no control over that, but it's to reduce the discomfort those intrusive thoughts give us and to reduce the compulsions and accommodations associated with those thoughts. That's the goal. The goal with social anxiety is to reduce the discomfort in uncomfortable situations. That is actually the goal. So if I am sitting with someone or in a group and I don't know what to say, The goal is for me to not feel uncomfortable with the fact that I may not know what to say in that moment. Yeah, we can build those tools and skills to improve their ability to do um, small talk. It doesn't mean they're going to love small talk. It doesn't mean they're going to want to do small talk. And I'm talking about from experience. I don't want to do small talk. It's exhausting for me. It does take my brain a lot more energy to be like, what should I say to this person next to me? Especially strangers or acquaintances. I don't know what to say to you. If it's a friend We're not even going to do small talk because we're going to go into deep talk. (laughs) Um, But you can't have a friend that can do a deep conversation until you've actually made them a friend, which requires small talk. So there is a necessity for small talk, but your child may not love small talk and they may not be good at it ever. But can we make them feel okay with accepting that on some level? I've accepted that I'm going to, and I've had I have one friend who's very, very, well, actually a lot of my friends, I only have a few to be honest, but the ones I do have, they all are outgoing, ironically, and which kind of makes sense because I normally sit back and then it's the outgoing people that come to me. But unfortunately on some level that can be kind of a struggle because you're not really energetically aligned with your friends. I mean, I would love to have a friend with social anxiety. I do not have a friend with social anxiety, I don't think, on a deep level. And I would love to have someone who is equally uncomfortable (laughs) and introverted as me Um, because then we kind of normalize, we can normalize each other. It'd be like, yeah, I only have you. And yeah, you only have me. And that would feel really comfortable. And some people actually do have that. And a lot of our kids actually do that. They'll find one friend, but then that friend is absent from school and they're like freaking out because kind of their anchor isn't there. And so it's, it's trying to tackle the discomfort around situations. For me, it's like, can I go and sit in a group of people and not say anything and not be chatty and feel okay with myself and say, I'm just not a chatty person. And it's okay that I'm standing here. I'm not a loser. I'm not a pathetic person. I can do that. Or can I make a mistake? Can I misspeak, mispronounce a word and somebody has to, Email me from my podcast and tell me that I mispronounced something. Thank you for that. Can I just shrug that away? Can I be like, well, that's an interesting thing that somebody had to take the time and energy to email me to let me know that I mispronounced a word on my podcast. I could make that about them and not about me, right? That's an interesting thing. I could be curious. That's interesting. I wonder what life is like when you feel like you have to do that. <laughs> you know? No judgment, but kind of interesting that you took the time and energy to do that. It's not about me. It doesn't mean I'm going to worry about that all day long or want to pull that podcast episode and, and edit it out. I, you know, part of a social anxiety goal is to be comfortable with who you are authentically as a person, which means embracing mistakes, embracing imperfections embracing stumbling on things, embracing the fact that people aren't going to talk to you, embracing the fact that you aren't the the most outgoing or charismatic person in the room. Now, this may be different for your child, right? These are the things I'm embracing. That's different for my 12-year-old. She's 12 now. (laughs) She changed changed numbers yesterday, but it is different for each person. But what is um, the goal for your child? And are you hitting too high of a goal? Is your expectation that your child is going to be able to join an activity with people they don't know and feel 100% comfortable with that. Or they're going to have, you're going to have a house full of kids running around once their social anxiety is crushed. Or is your goal, and maybe a lot of you are in this same camp as me, the goal is for them to just be comfortable in their own skin. And for some of you might be for them to leave the house, for them to be able to order their own food, for them to be able to do things that they need to do to function in society. It doesn't mean that they're going to be the most social person in the world. Okay. After the break, I'm going to go into how do we, how do we build that self-esteem? How do we empower our kids and, and do things that are actually going to help their social anxiety? All right. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands, introducing crushing OCD course for kids and teens.
0: It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed.
1: This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice
0: it was easy to use Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer there's different ages you know so there were younger kids there were teenagers and um so that was really nice too to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids it was a nice variety It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. (laughs) I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized that it was helpful to do like the exposures. Before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. I definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it. And I think it's really helpful. To
1: learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. All right, welcome back. So let's talk about how to boost our child's self-esteem and help them with their social anxiety. The first step is actually to really identify where they're struggling. And so the struggle is different for each person I've noticed. And so you want to kind of sit back with your child and ask them what situations are the hardest for you. You know, if you could think of all the situations that are social in your world, it doesn't have to be social. What are the hardest ones for you? Look at the patterns, right? If they're saying all group stuff, I don't like parties, or I don't like to go into a classroom where I don't know anyone, or I don't like to be late in a classroom, everyone's staring at me, or I don't like when the teacher asks me a question, I don't know the answer, or I don't know, I don't like to have to get the ball when we're having a game and all the parents are watching or I don't like when my hair is not perfect or my clothes aren't perfect, you'll start to notice some trends in the, in the things they're saying. And I've been using myself as an example for this episode. For me, my, my core struggles are being in a group where I don't know people. So this could be a crowd. It could be a school function because now I don't have like a husband to go with since he passed away and so I'm sitting there in an auditorium where everybody's chatting and talking and there's all these couples and families and I'm sitting there alone. That's hard for me because I feel this is the social anxiety part. I feel like a loser. I feel like everybody's staring at me and being like, "Oh, why is that why is that woman just sitting there? Why isn't anyone talking to her? Oh, she has nobody." And that is the social anxiety part. Sitting there alone isn't the social anxiety part because I wouldn't want to have to do small talk with a bunch of people I don't know. I don't want to join the PTA. I don't want to do any of that. I would love to have my husband sitting next to me. That would feel really nice, but I'm not going to go and sit with a bunch of people. I you know, barely know and just make some small talk. I'd rather sit by myself. And so sitting by myself isn't the problem. It's the thoughts that come with it, right? So can I sit in an auditorium full of people alone and feel comfortable? That is a goal, right? For me, Can I go into a small group where I don't know anyone and get myself acquainted with people? That would be a challenge for me. Um, Eventually, I do pretty well in a small group. The bigger the group, the harder it will be for me. The number one challenge for me, and probably still would be, is can I show up at a party that isn't for my kids, right? Because there I kind of have the excuse that I have no choice. I have to be here. But can can I go to a party? Let's say somebody invites me to a party and I don't know anybody there. And I'm showing up alone. I have yet to do that. (laughs) One, I don't get invited to a lot of parties. And two, when I do, I think I probably quickly say I can't go. That would be a huge one. I have done some exposures where I went to like an icebreaker once and it was horrible and I hated it. But the goal wasn't for me to love it. The goal was, can I show myself that I can get through it? So what are the goals for your kids? And the goal might be like for my son, his social anxiety goals are for him to basically go out more, you know, order his own food, not hide, literally not hide when someone comes over. That's not for him in this house. So very basic social anxiety goals. Talking to people, we go, we travel a lot and that we're now going on a lot of tours because I don't have my husband. I don't like to travel alone with my kids. So we sign up for tours and we kind of have like a built-in group of people, which ironically you would think that would be hard for me but it hasn't been too bad. And that's been a re- really great exposure for my social anxiety because I, once I warm up to people, I'm like a fungus. Like I grow on you. <laughs> my husband used to say that, but that wasn't true. He was very charismatic. But for me, it is actually literally true. And so once I'm around people for a, an extended period of time, I grow on them and they grow on me and people actually start to see the real me and I start to talk. But I'm actually ironically, my oldest daughter who has social anxiety too is much chattier with people. And she normally breaks the ice for all of us, but she's not traveling with us in a couple of weeks. We're going to go by ourselves. And so we'll see how that goes. That'll be a good exposure. But for my son, who just being around strangers is overwhelming, that has been very therapeutic for him too. Just the exposure of a group. And so what is that for your kid? Um, Are you aiming too high? Ask your child what their goals would be. If you could get rid of social anxiety, what would it look like? Maybe their expectations are too high. Maybe we need to tune them back into who they are as people. So that starts with celebrating who they are. Who is your child outside of social anxiety? Maybe do some exercises with them to figure out who they are. I do have a social anxiety course called How to Crush Social Anxiety. Every course I have has to have the word crush in it. And it is actually for kids and adults um, and teens. I wanted it be for, to be for every age because I feel like, although it's not for little kids. So I would say you have to be at least seven or eight, depending on your cognitive level to benefit from this social anxiety course. But it's online, it's on demand. You just watch videos. But I teach, I mean, a lot of, a lot of what I do in there is building up, one, recognizing what social anxiety is, because I think even when you have social anxiety, you don't understand what it is. And two, building up your self-esteem and how you define yourself because a huge part of social anxiety is wanting other people to define you. And so when they think that you are not the best or they have a bad opinion of you, which people will, then you plummet because you're like, now I don't think I'm okay. And so I spent a lot of time talking about that. And then the final part of that course is doing exposures. And you know, it's funny Someone had emailed me and was upset about my social anxiety course. And they're like, you know, we just need exercises and we just need like concrete ways to beat social anxiety. And it's like, you're a hundred percent missing the point. Like if your child doesn't understand how social anxiety works, why it is so powerful, why it pulls you down. And if you don't understand who you are and build yourself back up, none of those little exercises that you want are going to work, right? We have to do the foundational work. And that's what I teach is foundational work. And I think a lot of times people want a quick fix and they take a course and they're like, where are the exercises and where is the how-to steps? And it's like, you have to get the foundation. When you build a foundation, you pour cement, it will last forever. When you do some quick exercises from a workbook and you have no idea of the foundation of it, that's not going to stick right? I mean, it might make, make you feel good because you're like checking off boxes and doing worksheets. And I do have worksheets in my courses, but I'm going to teach you why it is, how it shows up, why it's there. Let's redefine who you are because without feeling solid about who you are, you'll always be a victim to social anxiety always. So celebrating who your kids are. And I do walk you through that in the course. And you can check that out at atparentingsurvivalschool.com I always ask, and you can ask your child and you can ask yourself, like, who am I? And, and not in a toxic positivity sort of way where it's like, I'm beautiful and I'm smart and I'm funny because you may not believe that. And so having a really raw, authentic view of who, who you are can be really helpful. And so what are your strengths? Who are you? Part of it might be, I am an introvert. Not always because not every introvert has social anxiety, but for me, it's, I'm an introvert. I like deep conversations. So part of me defining who I am is actually taking the power away from social anxiety. Because once I accept I'm a person who likes deep conversations, I'm a person that gets tired in social interactions, then social anxiety can't pipe in and be like, no, you're a loser. No, actually, I'm just a person who doesn't like to talk to a lot of people I don't know. There's also things outside of that. I like to be goofy or I like to learn about people, whatever that is. What is your child? You know, are they creative? Are they smart? And in what way are they smart? You know, oh, are they an out of the box thinker? Are they, you know, so we want to get them to define who they are on a deeper level. And then what things do they not like about themselves? And can they accept that? Because a lot of times I think we want them to accept everything about them and it all has to be good. And I think accepting our faults is also about embracing imperfection. And so I have done that, you know, with my kids and I've done it with me, right? Like sometimes I get overwhelmed and sometimes I get snappy or I am not a model, (laughs) you know, and that's okay. I'm I'm just not going to be a model. I'm not going to be five foot 10 and blonde. It's not who I am. And to accept that this is my body, this is the way I look, what aspects can I like about the way I look and that in and embracing all of that. And we want our kids to do that too, right? What things do you love about yourself? What things do you not like? How can you be self-compassionate to the things you don't like about yourself? How can you accept the things you don't like? Not fix them necessarily because some things are not fixable, but how do you accept those imperfections, right? I might get frustrated or overwhelmed. That's okay, Right you recognize it. I may, whatever, whatever it is. So I think we want to get them to identify themselves. The other thing is we want to empower them to take some brave steps forward and we want to make those little micro steps. And so a lot of times when I was a kid, my mom, who was outgoing and charismatic and had a zillion friends did not get me at all. And she would compare me to my other siblings, which made me feel horrible and was traumatizing. And then if I couldn't do something because of my social anxiety, she would yell at me. And so she would say, you know, like, go ask her or, you know, call them, you need to call them or get up and go get me this. Or, you know, if we were at a restaurant or something and not to mention that she was completely embarrassing because she was very demanding. So my social anxiety wanted to totally disappear. But instead it's not that it's a bad thing to tell your child to do something that gets out of their comfort zone. But hers was out of anger and I was afraid of her. And so I had to do it because I was afraid of the ramifications of not doing it. I didn't want to get hit. I didn't want to get berated. And so I would do it, but I would white knuckle it and just get over with it without her support. And it didn't really improve anything for me. It actually made it worse because it it was a horrible experience and there was no insight into it. And so with my kids, And with the kids that I help, it's doing things in small steps. And so one, helping them understand how social anxiety kind of attacks your thinking and attacks your behavior. So understanding my social anxiety is telling me right now that if I get up and go get a straw, that everybody's going to be staring at me across the restaurant. And that's going to be way too embarrassing. How do I reframe that thinking, right? If that's my social anxiety, how do I reframe that thinking? Is everyone going to be staring at me? And if they are... Does it really matter? I don't really, you know, I don't know any of these people. And even if I did, would that even matter? Because, okay, you know, someone stands up in a class to go sharpen their pencil, or they stand up at a restaurant to go get something. It's just natural for people's eyes to go and look at that person. Does it really matter? So that's a lot of reframing. And I, and I think a lot of times parents, we miss this part of, can I, before we even get them to do the exposure or the challenge, are we reframing their thinking? Or are, they, are we teaching them to reframe their thinking in what their social anxiety is telling them? So in my head, I always have two conversations going on. I have my social anxiety telling me what what is going to happen or what people are thinking. And I have um, my real self who is kind of arguing back with social anxiety. And that really helps me because a lot of times I'll just agree with social anxiety. Yeah, they may or may not look at me, but honestly, I don't care anymore, right? I need a straw. I'm going to get up and get my straw. I'm just using that as an example. And so one, working on reframing those thoughts. I teach this in my social anxiety course, right red thoughts and green thoughts and how to reframe those thoughts. And then the second one is if that is too hard, what's a smaller step? And so maybe going all the way across the room and getting a straw is too much for someone's social anxiety. And we're asking too much. And so maybe we have to start on a smaller scale. So maybe it will be just stand up and then sit back down in your seat. For my daughter, a couple of years ago, probably more than a couple of years ago at this point, she was eating in a fast food place and her she was wearing a white shirt and her sleeves were getting in her ketchup. She was little. And I said, can you roll up your sleeves? You're getting ketchup. And she wouldn't do it. And I didn't understand why. And it was a whole thing. Eventually she told me and she thought that people would stare at her if she rolled up her sleeves, which is obviously ridiculous to any of us, probably. But to her, it was a real thing, and it was really overwhelming. So to ask her to get up across the room and get a napkin or a straw or some more ketchup would be way too much. And so getting her to just roll up one sleeve or a little bit of the sleeve, that was our first step, right? You should see her now. She's out of control. She's, she took like a plie, like bow on stage when she was doing band last year, and it was mortifying to me, but cute because she is fully herself. But she's come a long way. Um, she couldn't even roll up her sleeves. So ask your child, what's a small step they can take towards their social anxiety. It's not the, the be all and end all. It's not the end goal. It's the baby step. Incentivize them as well, right? I recognize this is hard. I know that this is hard. I know your social anxiety is saying that everyone's going to stare at you. If you, you know, roll up your sleeves, what can you say back to your social anxiety, right? We name it. And so we're normally talking to uh, like a character that also helps externalize it. Uh, my social anxiety is paro for paranoid. And I can separate myself from my social anxiety. I don't see my social anxiety as my friend. I know a lot of people have that approach with anxiety, but for me, that internal voice has never been friendly. It's always been, you know, berating and making me feel stupid. And so it helps me to think that's my social anxiety and I have got my back and I'm not going to let anyone talk to me like that, including my social anxiety, because it's not true. And so finding that beat for your kids is really important. And then, and then getting them to do these things independently because that's where the education part comes in. And that's why I spend so much time in my courses, educating kids about what their struggle is. Um, Same thing with my crushing OCD course. Somebody was like, you know, where, where's the skills? And they're like jam packed in the middle of the course, but they bailed because they didn't want the education piece. And it's like, people need to understand how these disorders work in order for them to have long-term success. And so I'm sure that you get that, but some people don't um, because they want the easy way out and they don't realize that teaching and educating your kids about how does social anxiety show up? When you have that internal voice, what are you going to do? How are you going to show up for that? That is the, the meat and potatoes of learning how to overcome any anxiety or OCD issue is understanding how it operates behind the scenes. And so the next thing I would say is you... You don't want to miss out on the self-esteem part. And that doesn't mean it's just even around social anxiety. It's just who you are and the amazing things you are. And how do you build that? How do you build that self-esteem? And I do have a podcast on that. I actually have a lot of them. I was just looking them up. Um, Episode 308, how to model self-esteem and resilience. Um, Episode 206, how self-esteem plays a role in kids with anxiety or OCD. Episode 91, How to Boost Your Child's Self Esteem. Episode 12, oh my gosh, we're going way back there. Things good parents do that actually hurt self esteem. So, yeah, quite a lot of podcast episodes. And the way that you can find these, if you can't find them on wherever you're listening to this episode, you can always go to my website at natashadaniels.com. And then there's a search button at the very bottom. And you can just type in self-esteem and you'll get access to all of these things because that could be really helpful. So yeah, work on self-esteem and listen to those episodes and I'll go into detail about how you do that. But I'm talking to my kids about the things that they're really great at or the things that they do that are kind for them. And then we also talk about that inner dialogue and and how how to have self-compassion because self-compassion is such a big part about self-esteem. I should do an episode on that. But with my son, when he loses his temper or he does something and then he feels bad about it, he is so self-hating. And so a lot of our conversation that is to help his self-esteem is more about that, where I'll talk about, we all make mistakes. And part of what we're working on is how do you forgive yourself? How do you let go of that? How do you say to yourself, I'm not going to knock it out of the park every time, or yeah, I lost my cool there. It's been a really rough day for me, but it's a new moment. And everybody loses their cool sometimes. A lot of our kids don't have that. A lot of our adults don't have that, um, that ability to, to be your own best friend. And a lot of this, and this is going to sound completely ridiculous, but maybe not to you. Learning how to be your own best friend is kryptonite to social anxiety. And that is one thing that I have learned with my own journey is once I have, I don't think I ever saw myself as company Until my husband died. And then once he died, because I always had one best friend all the way through school, always one best friend that made me feel less lonely or not alone. Right. And then I got married really young. I got married, I think at 20 and again, right from high college to being married while in college. And then when I got a divorce, I had one year alone, but I had a child, but I was very, very alone. It was a very rough year. And then I met. Jimmy, the husband that passed away. And so 13 years with Jimmy, never alone. I mean, he was amazing because he was like a human uh, blanket. Like he was willing to go with me everywhere and he never let me go by myself. And he really helped me feel like I'm not alone, but unfortunately that didn't help. It actually made things worse because when he died, I felt more naked and vulnerable than I have ever felt in my entire life. Because I had 13 years of this warmth of, he went to birthday parties with me, kids' kids' birthday parties with me. He sat with me in those auditoriums when it was a school function. He actually flew with me and went to conferences with me. So I thought I was really crushing my social anxiety, but he was right there, always, always right there. And we went grocery shopping together. We did everything together. And so much more vulnerable when he left. And so I've had to learn that I've had, and this is gonna sound cheesy, I know, but I that I've had the closest friend I could ever have right here with me. And I've never felt that I've always, if I ate alone or if I sat alone, I felt, I felt so alone. And since he died and it's been almost three years now, I talk to myself all day long. When I'm home, (laughs) I sit by myself. I can go to a movie by myself. I've learned how to, how to like really appreciate me, how to like, how to love on me. So weird. I know it is really weird. And I don't even know how to articulate that, but if we could teach our kids how to do that, that's amazing. And it takes time. I mean, for me, it was a trauma thing that brought me into that, but I really enjoy my alone time now in a way that I didn't before. I think I did enjoy it a little bit before, but I, I have complete dialogue with myself. I do special things for myself, almost like, like an outside person looking in. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I think about how do I take care of Natasha? (laughs) I know it sounds so stupid, but it helps because I never feel alone because this is the one person I know will never leave me is myself. And if we can teach our kids that on some level, that you have one best friend, you have one person that you know will never, ever leave and that hopefully will never, ever judge. And if we can make that person inside of you, your friend instead of your enemy or your frenemy, then it's gold because then you really guard your thoughts and you really stick up for yourself. When you're having those negative thoughts, like, Oh my gosh, that was so stupid. You're like, you know what? I'm having an off day back off, right? It's okay. Let's not add, you know, salt to the wound, right? We're trying to help move past this. So teaching our kids this on some level level can be helpful. And one way to teach that is to model our own behavior. Do you show self-love? And not just by being like, I love myself. I don't know who walks around saying I love myself, but modeling that, um, you can verbalize it. You know, I really enjoy my alone time because I want to take care of myself or, you know, I made this mistake at work and this is how I talk to myself about it. How do you show up for yourself? A lot of times I'll talk to my kids about, are you helping future self? Right. I'll be like, well, I'm laying my clothes out tonight because I know future Natasha is going to be so tired that I want to help her out. Or I'm going to do the dishes tonight because I know future Natasha is going to wake up in the morning and she's going to see them and she's going to be like, oh, you got to be kidding me. You left me all these dishes. So even kind of talking about future self, how do you help your future self? How do you help your past self? Um, Recently, my son was looking at pictures of himself from when he was little and he was like, oh my gosh, what a dork. No wonder why people didn't like me. And I said, it's so sad that you're treating past self. I used his name. We don't talk like that, but you know, that you're that you're treating past Mr. Six in such a mean way. He deserves compassion. Don't you think, how do you think he felt in that body at that time? And so we can model this by talking about our own experiences and by catching them when they're talking in ways that aren't very kind and compassionate to themselves. So um, I hope that you found this helpful. I think it was more of a deeper dive in social anxiety. I am coming out with a social anxiety memoir that is going to be published in September of next year. So stay tuned for that. Make sure you're on my email list so you get notified when that comes out. I'll give you more information. It's already done. The publisher already is working on it. I'm waiting on a title, We're kind of going back and forth on a title. So hopefully by the time you're listening to this, which will be a few weeks from me recording it, I'll have a title that I actually like, but I think that it will hopefully be really helpful for you guys to see in a memoir sort of way, what it looks like through a lens of a child with social anxiety. And then I go through, you know, teen years, college years, and then a lot in the adulthood and my adult life and my online life and all my, my recent stuff. And so I walk through, it's actually kind of like a quasi memoir slash help self-help because I talk about the. The hierarchies I did and like the exposures I did for myself and how I got myself to a better place. And so my hope is that it will be interesting to read. It will give perspective for you as far as what your child or teenager is going through, but it'll also give you some concrete understanding of the ways that you can crush your social anxiety and through my story and how I've been doing that. So I hope that you find that helpful. I'll give you more information as it's coming out it was very nerve wracking to, to write it. I wrote it. It was actually done before Jimmy died, actually a week before he died, it was fully complete. And yeah. And then I, it sat on my shelf for a few more than a few months after he died. And then I shopped it around. And finally the publisher, Jessica Kingsley publisher who publishes, who's published the grief book, um, like the grief rock and actually my OCD workbook, which is coming out in February crushing OCD workbook for kids. I have to always have crushing in every title, um, except my social anxiety. I don't think it's going to have crushing, but that is coming out in February. And so they actually picked up the memoir as well. Yay. And so more to come on that. I'll just give give you some updates as that's coming out and talk a little bit about the struggle it was to, and the struggle it continues to be to think, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that's going to be published. Like how naked, like truly naked can one feel? It's like the ultimate social anxiety exposure to be like, um, I wrote all about my life and everybody's going to read it. (laughs) Well, not everybody, but people are going to read it and know a lot about what's inside my head and a lot about my life, but it's worth it because it's about being vulnerable. It's about helping other people and it's about stepping into your full self, which I am all about right now. So I hope that you're finding this podcast helpful. If you are, don't forget to hit a star or write a review. I greatly appreciate that. And don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.